0: The intersection of
1: life and money. This is Everyday Wealth with award winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and personal finance expert Gene Chatsky. Presented by Edelman Financial Engines. Ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. Now, here are Gene Chatsky and Soledad O'Brien.
0: Hi, everyone. I'm Jean Chatsky alongside Soledad O'Brien. Welcome to Everyday Wealth. We are a new show that sits at the cross section of life and money. And every week, we're going to take time to explore what's going on in the news, what's going on in the markets, all the different events that could factor into building and growing and preserving your wealth. And we'll have along for the ride. Experts from Edelman Financial Engines.
2: Yeah, you know, Gene Chatsky, if I can quote you to you, Gene, likes to say that money is a tool. And I love that because it really is about leveraging this tool to make money work for you in creating the life you want to have. And so hopefully we'll be able to be helpful for people who are trying to navigate, whether they're retiring or trying to send kids off to college or thinking about having kids who one day they might send off to college. We can be helpful on that front. Uh, Joining us today uh, is Andy Smith. He's a financial planner from Indianapolis at Edelman Financial Engines. Hi, Andy. Nice to see you. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. How are you? Great. Great. Happy New Year. I think we get to keep saying that. Probably to like mid-February. You can say it as long so. as you want.
1: does not matter.
2: <laughs> nice to see you. How long have you been a, a wealth manager, wealth planner?
1: Uh, about 20 years. Wow. About 20 years. So Dad and I had an opportunity to start uh, the Indianapolis office back in the early 2000s for that. And we, we had had a service background, and we were both Boy Scouts, Eagle Scouts, the whole do a good turn daily sort of thing. Um, but we were realizing that people really needed somebody to just kind of help educate and explain and, and take them through kind of the overall investing and retirement planning process. You talked earlier about how money's a tool, right? We always used to say money isn't everything. It's just that having money makes things so much easier in life. And you always remember that that's the people around you that really matter more than anything else. We tried to apply that to what we did as advisors, investment advisors, financial planners, etc. And, um, you know, to the extent that people just were able to talk and feel comfortable and have those conversations that they couldn't have with, you know, commissioned brokers or other investment advisors, it really allowed people a way to take back control of of their investing, of their overall retirement planning.
2: But it's fair to say that the market is on fire right now oh, and has been for a while. Yeah. And it's fair to say that the economy as a whole is on fire and doing great. Doing incredibly well, up 5.5% in
0: 2021. Corporate profits were the largest that we've seen since 1950. Corporate debt The lowest that we've seen in 30 years, unemployment has been falling. I mean, if you look at the indicators, listen to these numbers because they are kind of astonishing. So the S&P 500 was up 27% 27% in 2021 with 70 record closes. I mean, that's just amazing. The Dow was up 19%. The NASDAQ was up 21.5%. That's the tech-heavy index of smaller stocks. Uh, Andy, have you ever seen anything like this?
1: You see all of these different things happening in the markets overall. Clients were looking at that, and they were trying to get a sense of what it meant to their actual Accounts, What it meant to their actual investments. So it was a pretty remarkable year, but it was also a, a remarkable time because a lot of what we had to do was kind of reset the conversation and remind people, your 401ks, your IRAs, your brokerage accounts, it's not just those three indexes that you just mentioned.
0: And it's also the government intervention and the economy at large that has been playing kind of an outsized role in what's going on in the markets and those things are starting to come to an end and it has people worried i mean we've seen the federal reserve pumping a lot of liquidity into the markets that's going to come to an end we've seen interest rates very low they're going to go up three times projected in 2022 And when we talk about the fact that people are starting to get worried about where their portfolio is right now and where it's going to go, those factors are
2: playing a role. Is that typical, though? People always are concerned about, you know, oh, the market's going to go down. I feel like I've heard this pretty much almost every single year that people, regardless of what's happening in the world, whether it's COVID-19 or whatever big major news story, there's an anxiety about it.
1: I think that negativity sells right? It's sexy. It sounds smart. It sounds actionable. There's always some call to action to buy some stock newsletter where they're going to tell you the seven magical stocks that you got to buy, even though we're about to have some you know, sort of cataclysmic doom in the market. But when you start to realize kind of where you are and the stuff that you got to do, you always need to be saving as much as you can for as long as you can, right? You always need to be watching your debt levels. You always need to be watching spending. You always need to be kind of optimizing what you're going to do with your Social Security benefits. When you don't do that, it's like anything else. You know, we're, we're here uh, early January, right? Everybody has all these resolutions. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to do all this. I'm going to take on the world. When do most of the resolutions fall off? Right?
2: February second, February
1: second, right?
2: <laughs> well, mine but, mine fall off a little teeny bit earlier than that.
1: Yeah, but. but but the problem is when you don't do all the stuff that you're supposed to do all along, every last bit of negativity is just going to you know click a little bit differently, and you're going to think that things are that much worse. Because you didn't do all the stuff that you're supposed to do early on. So
2: is the sense, the negative sense, not sort of based in the Dow or the S&P or any sort of the data points that look really good? And is it really around the emotion? You mentioned parents of college-age kids. When you look at the volatility kind of both in the country and the volatility – just in the job market, in the workplace, it's pretty chaotic as they sort of think about where they're going to apply. If you have a kid who's in elementary school, you really don't have an idea if that kid's going back to school, mass, what's going to happen with this new variant, even though it seems, thankfully, to be much less um, dangerous in a lot of ways than the previous uh, COVID-19 strain. So, you know, I, I think a lot of that emotion to me feels like yeah, we're not talking about the S&P, we're not talking about the Dow. Right. We're talking about all that other emotional roller coaster stuff that's happening that defines how you feel about your portfolio and how you feel about your future. Oh. Although
0: the volatility in the markets has also been off the chart. The volatility if we're looking at the VIX, right? If we're looking at the measure of volatility, It was much higher coming through the pandemic than it was in the Great Recession. And I think that that shakes people as well.
1: Yeah. So I think two things, Um, you know, one regarding emotion with relationships, with kids, with jobs, with everything else, they're going to call me and they're going to blame the market or whatever their account did in a two day period of time and think that that is the cause of everything else. So I think the problem is is that there's all this other stuff that people are trying to get a sense of twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, and they ultimately it comes back to what is important for me and how is this going to affect my trajectory into retirement and then number two, you know you have all these people kind of thinking about what they want to do with retirement, and I think you know we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but when you kind of pull back and look, it's like is now a good time to retire? People have been retiring every year. During great times, during bad times, if you can pull emotion out of your investment decisions, if you can talk with somebody who will basically say we need to look at things as scientifically and in as calculated a manner as possible, doesn't matter what happens on the TV, doesn't matter what your coworkers worker is griping about, you know, five days a week, you'll know where you are with your money and what you have to be doing in the coming year.
0: We know the market is not the economy. I've heard that again and again and again. Andy, you want to explain?
1: Absolutely. So, you know, probably going back maybe into the into the 40s and 50s, the market really was kind of the economy. And so over time, those two entities have split. And so what we see now is we see all these economic indicators, but then we see all of these different pieces in the market. People are left there trying to reconcile what these two pieces of information mean, or what these multiple pieces of information mean for their own investments, right? So when things are going gangbusters, you look at the market and think, why isn't the market keeping up, right? There's always some sort of way that we're trying to make sense of chaos. On the other hand, markets are going, you know, doing great, and that we see some economic lag. And again, we're trying to make sense of everything. The thing that I always try to tell clients is that you have to understand that. You know, the markets are not the economy like you were talking about. But then also those three magical indexes that you see at the bottom of every newscast, those aren't your accounts, right? <laughs> it's it's a little piece of the account. But the problem is people think that they're trying to compare apples to apples. It's like you got to compare apples to an entire fruit basket. And so once people start to realize that markets are not the economy and then also everything that I see just investment-wise on the news is not my own money – then you can start to kind of relax and say, all right, what do I need to be doing here? No matter what the year is, 2020, 2021, last year, even in years past, people just have to understand that what they're seeing isn't necessarily what they have in their own money.
2: So when clients come to see you, are they freaked out, stressed out, thrilled?
1: So I've got clients all over the country, on the coasts, in the heartland. I have younger clients, older clients. I have parents of kids who are trying to get jobs. I have people who are in retirement glide path or just retired or they've been retired for 10 or 15 years and they're not phased by anything, I think a lot of it is just wherever you are, that is your frame of reference, and that's how you're kind of viewing everything there. And so once we have those conversations and they know that they can be a little bit more agnostic about everything else that's out there, then they start to feel a little bit better knowing that I don't have to feel what you feel, Gene. I don't have to feel what you feel, Soledad. I'm just looking at my own stuff and trying to make sense of everything.
0: It's such an important point about retirees because when we look at how retirees are feeling, no matter what the economy is doing and no matter what the markets are doing, their fortunes tend not to change, right? They've got Social Security. Maybe they've got a pension or they are – into some sort of methodology program of withdrawing money from their retirement accounts, they're not super worried about it. But it's the other people. It's
2: the people who are 10 years out from retirement who are worried. We'll be right back with more on perception versus reality when it comes to the economy. Stay with us. More
1: on how our financial decisions shape our everyday lives when we come back. Welcome back to Everyday Wealth with Soledad O'Brien, Gene Chatsky, and guest host Edelman Financial Engines Wealth Planner, Andy Smith.
0: And we are back on Everyday Wealth. Gene Chatsky here with Soledad O'Brien. Andy Smith also with us from Edelman Financial Engines. So we've been talking about the disconnect, the fact that people look at the market and the economy and how they're doing and how people feel about it, which is lousy, despite the fact that there is an awful lot of good news out there. Do you see that when you have people come into your office? Do you see this this disconnect from reality?
1: Uh, I think a lot of it is um, it's a matter of where you sit is where you stand sort of thing. If you are about to go into retirement, you might be thinking one thing. If you've been retired for a number of years, it's one thing. Depending upon where you live, if you have a job, if you're looking for a job, if you've got all these different situations, I think ultimately people know that there's a lot of stuff that they have to kind of keep track of. What their concern is, is what do I listen to? What do I put on mute as it relates to what I'm trying to do for my particular situation? It it comes back to the what's happened. What does it mean? What does it mean to me? as you start to have those client conversations
0: and when do i take action versus when do i sit on my hands and that's where the
2: emotion comes in right yeah i think it's incredibly emotional and you know i mean basically you're telling people it's about your money it's about your future it's about your values. It's about your kids. It's about your life. It's about your hopes. It's about your dreams. But you know what? Don't get too emotional about it. I think that's a, I think that's a tough thing to tell people. Yeah, and
1: it's a tough conversation to have, especially when maybe the person that they've worked with before only talked about investing. And I think the problem is, is that if you've worked with somebody before that only talked about investments, that's your frame of reference. So there's nobody else that you've ever been able to have this conversation with. And so you think that retirement planning is allocating your account. It's picking one magical investment over the other, and it's not. So when you deal with these emotional issues and all you've ever known is kind of this calculated approach and you've never had a chance to kind of look at the entire range of everything that you're supposed to be thinking, it becomes even more daunting until you realize that you just have to kind of work through this stuff to figure out this is where you are, this is where you want to be, what do I need to do, what do I need to think about, to get from point A to point B.
0: And what are the blockers that could potentially derail you? And some of those are economic, right? A lot of people right now are very worried about inflation. They've looked at the numbers. They've seen that we're hitting highs that we have not seen in years. They're feeling it because they go out and they buy gas and it costs a lot more to fill up their car. They go into the grocery store to buy milk and
2: that's more expensive. You know, you raise a good point, right, which is, can you inflation proof somebody's portfolio or is it just inflation is inflation and you're going to have to deal with it, maybe spend less, you know, day in and day out?
1: One of the things that I do when I talk to people is I kind of show them this is where you are right now, right? If you didn't change anything about your investments, if you didn't change anything about your Social Security strategy or income, part-time income, pension, your cash flow, and nothing, This is where you are. This is what could happen over a longer period of time. And so then what we do is we kind of go back in and change different pieces of the scenarios. So when you look at kind of the cash flow plans that we build, you'll see all of these different columns. Only one or two kind of variables change plan to plan to plan or scenario to scenario to scenario. So you ask about how to inflation proof or help inflation proof your money. We show what has to happen if you want to spend more or be able to have more money later in life. We talk about what happens with market returns in an average market, in a poor market, in an above-average market. Because people have to realize these last couple of years, these returns that we saw in 2021, these returns that we saw in 2020, what happens if they don't continue? You have to be able to understand what that means for your specific plan So when you talk about all these things that are pouring into the plan, social security, pensions, part-time income, when you talk about all the money that's going out, basically your cash flow, what do you have to do with the investments so that you can have the lifestyle and the retirement that you want rather than the one that you're stuck with because you're not having these conversations right now?
0: And People have a lot more control over these levers than they think they do, right? I mean, I can't control the markets. I can't control inflation. I can't control interest rates, but I can control to some degree, based on my income, the amount of money that I save versus spend throughout my lifetime. I can control when I choose to take Social Security, which is such an important part of a strategy for retirement that I'm going to just sit here and pound the table until we do a whole show Yeah, on when should, to take Social sure. Security because it's... it's Unbelievably confusing whether or not to convert some of your retirement income into a pension. You know, those are all things that are within your control. And yes, we're going to need some help with this. No doubt we're going to need some help with this. We're going to need to sit down with people who know how to maneuver these levers.
2: How many of the retirees that you deal with um, think that they're going to retire from their job and then take on a a side gig, a consulting gig, sort of a a soft landing retirement? How many actually do what they say they're going to (laughs) do and and how many don't? Would you guess?
1: Yeah, so I think that more people think that they're not going to do anything and then realize that they're bored out of their skulls and they want to do something or the job called back and they're able to consult or contract or do any number of different things. There are some people who treat retirement not necessarily as an ending, but a launching or a repositioning more than anything else. But you talk about those, those things that you can control. The conversations that we have, retirees you know, saying, I want to work, I don't want to work, or what to do with Social Security or spending or everything else, it comes down to this. Control the things that you can control. Educate yourself about the things that you can't. The problem is is that people think that they have to educate themselves about everything and that everything is actionable. There's so much about investing. There's so much about retirement planning for your own life. That you have zero control over. So what you do at that point is just educate yourself, work with somebody who's not trying to push you into high commission products or, you know, sell you something that's not good for you, but it's better for them because of the commission that they're earning. You have to be able to talk with somebody who can say, this is what you can control. This is what you need to know. And this is what it means to your money.
0: And you've got a webinar coming up about inflation specifically for people who want to dig in. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Uh, we do. Um, so there's there's a lot of different things that people are trying to get a sense of. Um, you talked about inflation. That's really on a lot of people's minds right now. But when you look at inflation, when you look at these rising prices, you have to remember that rising prices don't have to lower the quality of your retirement so if you are worried, if you have questions, you know, join us for our first free webinar of 2022. It's coming up on January 25th. It's a Tuesday, either at three or eight. Uh, you can head over to plan E-F-E.com. It's appropriately titled 10 uh, ways to help protect your wealth from inflation. So we're going to talk about and you're going to get answers to questions like, you know, how much could inflation impact my spending in retirement? Uh, what bond types? can provide inflation protection, Uh, investing in stocks, can investing in stocks help you outpace that inflation? So all this stuff that we're talking about right now, all this stuff that your advisor or your planner might not be talking to you about right now, there are ways to get some help. Planefe.com to register, totally free, and it'll probably help put your mind at ease.
2: We've got to take a short break, but Jean and I will be back in just a moment with Andy, continuing our conversation uh, and focusing on retirement. You know, how much money do you really need? How should you think about spending that money in your retirement? Uh, How do you make sure you don't run out of uh, money as you retire? That's going to be right after this break. You're listening to Everyday Wealth. We'll be back in just a moment.
1: Everyday Wealth with Soledad O'Brien, Gene Chatsky, and guest host Edelman Financial Engines Wealth Planner, Andy Smith.
0: Welcome back to Everyday Wealth. Gene Chatsky. here with Soledad O'Brien, Andy Smith from Edelman Financial Engines, also in the conversation. So let's talk a little bit about the jobs numbers. We got Yet another round of jobs numbers tying into the great resignation. Four and a half million people, the most ever left their jobs in November, right? more than more than September, which was a record more than October, another record exactly. And, you know, it's interesting. it's it's two different groups of people. It is some fast food and hospitality workers who are really, Switching jobs because they see that if they go across the street, they can make another dollar or two or three an hour, maybe get a sign-on bonus. There there are a lot of incentives out there. But there are also retirees who are just done, people who are looking at their lives and thinking, I've just had enough. I'm going to take back my time. I'm done trading it for money I'm in a position where I can sustain this. But I wonder, can they really? I wonder, can they really, in particular, because you and I, Soledad, we've been talking a lot about this report that came out from Morningstar a little while ago, looking at what we in the financial industry call the 4% rule. And that's basically this long-standing maxim that if you withdraw no more than 4% of your retirement funds a year, you should be able to sustain yourself for 30 years. They threw a bucket of cold water on that and said, actually, the number is a
2: lot lower than you might think. So, Andy, let me ask you a question off of that report. First of all, when your clients come in to talk to you, how many of them are retiring retiring, retiring, leaving their job, but not going to find another side gig passion that's going to bring them income?
1: Uh, I think it it depends. I think um, some people go into it thinking, I don't want to work. I don't want to do anything else. And it's not (laughs) like they want to sit in front of the TV and then just kind of die. But they have all of these kind of delusions of, of grandeur, not in a bad way, because they've worked their entire lives. Of course, there's all this stuff that they want to do. And then they realize, you know, three, four months go by and that contracting gig or that consulting gig looks pretty good. And so they go back. Mm -hmm. There's some people who at the very beginning know that they're it's not retirement. It's just a change from where you are right now. So you use that phrase, the great resignation earlier, right? I hate that phrase. And you didn't come up with it, I know, because there's like this connotation that people are just given up, right? And it's just based on the definitional use of the word. I think it's more of like a a great send-off or a great launching or a great change. People are using something that's happening in the world around them to take action, knowing that they're going to be doing something else down the road. And so these conversations that we're talking about, it's more a matter of where are you, where do you want to be – what do we have to do from a retirement income strategy to make sure that everything continues to work? I
2: think the pandemic has really changed how people are thinking about the lives they want to lead. I just know so many people who are like, I do not want to spend 90 minutes a day commuting each direction yeah. when my kids are five, six, seven, nine, fifteen 15 years old. Like you have a limited amount of time and the pandemic for all the terrible things it brought, obviously. Also, I think opened up a possibility of what life could look like. So talk to me about this 4% now, less than 4% rule. Where did it come from? And do you agree with it? Do you think it's a good rule? Bad rules? Too high? Too low?
1: So I always had a problem with the 4% rule. And I think that it goes back to kind of how people think about rules of thumb. Rules of thumb are great for people who are trying to do it on their own and they're looking for some sort of nuggets of information to base their entire worldview around, right? So I've saved my entire life, I don't need help with my 401K, I'll just invest in the S&P 500 and blow everything out of the water. As they start to get ready to retire, it went from wanting to blow their you know 401K out of the water to I don't wanna blow myself up, I don't wanna leave my family you know in poverty because I'm doing something wrong with my retirement planning. So this 4% rule, it was kind of created when things were different, right? Markets were different. Bonds were different. Inflation was different. Prices were different. People's ages and longevity were different. But it was this really easy way for people to say, all right, here's this bucket of money. I divide it by 4%. This is what I can live on. And then at some point, required minimum distributions come in. you know, And so that's another piece of of retirement income, Social Security or pensions or another piece of retirement income. So what Morningstar did was they basically said, it ain't four percent anymore. Now it's closer to three point three percent. But if you look at the report, there's all of these different, very specific things that they had to assume yeah, and caveats like <laughs> for that to happen.
0: What I think is amazing about people in retirement is that they are resilient when it comes to how they navigate how much they're pulling out of their retirement accounts, right? So what do you mean? So there's a lot of research that shows they look at the 4% and they watch whether their portfolios are going up or going down that year. And if their portfolios are going down, they take one less vacation they just take a little less money they they are able to kind of roll with the punches and spend a little less. And look, I agree with you, Andy. I think it's great if everybody sits down with an advisor and has an actual plan. But I also know that at EFE, you guys have done some research and and there are a lot of people out there who don't think they can afford planners. There are a lot of people out there who don't know how to find
2: planners. I think there are a lot of people who don't think they have enough money. Well, that's, yeah, yeah, to have a planner, to merit having a planner and that you would roll your eyes at them and wouldn't want to talk to them if they felt like well listen i don't have 25 million dollars that need to be you know put into investments right
1: first of all it doesn't matter how much you have it's an important number to you and you still need help and there's still people out there who can get you you know that information that you need when it comes to that resiliency gene that you were talking about what i always tell clients is that there are different phases in retirement right there's three phases when you first retire you're the healthiest you're the most active You're going to spend the most, and you're going to be the most freaked out about your money that you will ever be throughout your entire life. Because you went from this accumulation phase to this spending phase, and all you're seeing is money going out. So the the spending goes up a little bit, but then it really does start to go down over time, not because you're spending less, but because there's just less stuff that you're doing or less stuff that you need. You start focusing on family, doctor's visits. Except for that maybe last one to three years of life where costs start to go up. So it's resiliency. It's this idea that income really isn't fixed. It's more of an on-demand need, right? So when I build these plans for people, there are periods of time throughout the year where people know that they're going to need more money, right? So we change their retirement income at that point. There's periods of time where they know they're going to be spending more. So we change that in their overall plan. The problem with this rule of thumb going back to 4% or even at 3.3% is that it lures people into thinking that you can divide your wealth by some magical number. And as long as you don't stray from that path, everything's going to be fine. That's not how life works. And if you go into it and don't think about Social Security or pension, retirement income, your investments, estate needs, you know, family situations, alien, you know, aging parents, all of this other stuff – you basically have two numbers that you're working with. Those two numbers aren't going to get you from where you are right now all the way to the I end. I was
2: going to ask you that. How often do retirees realize that that plan has been blown up?
1: What I tell people is that you want a plan that can be as flexible as possible. So the plan that we build is not to put it on the shelf, forget about it, and feel really good that you went through this process. <laughs> It's more of a we need to talk on a regular basis. Where is Social Security right now? What are your additional cash needs? Are the kids coming back to live? Are you taking care of parents right now? So anything that you can do from a cash flow planning perspective where you can change and pull these different levers, that's really what you're looking for. Because you can be the savviest do-it-yourself investor and try to regale me with this you know, kind of bonkers stock portfolio that you want me to look at. But if all you're doing is just kind of picking 30 stocks that just happen to be a tech fund or some large company stock fund, that's not getting you all the way through. So those questions, those concerns that you have, how often do people need to change? It's a lot more common than people think. To the extent that you can talk with a fiduciary, a financial planner who's going to put your best interest first, we can get to know you. Um, you know, It's how we approach all of our client relationships in, in my practice. It's the same for all of my partners, all of my colleagues you know, throughout Edelman Financial Engines, just give us a call 833-PLAN-EFE or visit us at planefe.com and all this stuff that we're talking about right now, you'll see how it would work out for you.
0: And we're going to dig into that estate plan and why amazing.
2: We're back, everybody. You're listening to Everyday Wealth. I'm Soledad O'Brien, along with Gene Chatsky, Andy Smith from Edelman Financial Engines joining us as well. Nice to Good see morning. you all. Good morning. Uh, so we're, we're one week into the new year. Mm-hmm. Um, my resolutions, just to brag for a moment, are going not horrifically. <laughs> Listen, first of all, nothing's open on New Year's Day, so you can't really get on track. You, yeah. I don't really start till the third anyway, so it's, it's not so bad. One thing that um, has always been a resolution for me, and I think for a lot of people, is this idea of getting your financial house in order i've been surprised by the number of people that i i know who don't have a will and they're not 25 year olds you know they're parents they're middle age sometimes they're 70 years old i'm dumbfounded is that unusual according to gallup i mean these statistics
0: continue to surprise me even though they have held steady for as long as i've been reporting on them only 46% of people have wills. My ex-husband and I, we signed our first will before we got on a plane without our young child for the very first time. I remember this vividly. Sitting in the house of a friend who happened to be a lawyer, we did a did a will. We had to run across the street to grab the neighbor to get them to come in to be an additional witness. <laughs> you know, it's not that hard, and yet people don't do it.
1: It has to do with a couple of things. First of all, it's confusing. Conceptually, it's this is what will happen when I'm dead, right? (laughs) So, I mean, you think about that, then it's okay. But then you start to think about all the other things that need to be a part of an overall or that should be a part of an overall estate planning package, right? Durable powers of attorney. What does that mean? Well, it means that if you can't make decisions, then this is who you're also allowing to make decisions. You need a healthcare power of attorney, or you should think about having a healthcare power of attorney. What does that mean? A living will, advanced directive, healthcare proxy, not to mention the actual will itself or beneficiaries on accounts. So the question is why don't more people do this? First of all, it's a pretty daunting exercise in some people's minds, but it also forces us to absolutely positively confront our mortality. It's the one thing where you finally are looking in the mirror and saying, I'm going to die. My spouse may outlive me. My children may outlive me. And this is what we have to work with. So when I talk with clients and ask them, do you have a will? When's the last time that you reviewed it? More and more people are saying yes to having a will because they've been clients long enough and I've beat up on them long enough where they know that they need to be doing something. But it's really hard when you're talking with people for the first time or you talk with friends and, you know, do you have this? People would rather talk about anything else to say, Soledad, at some point, you're going to die.
0: Can I just Jean, jump in someday, here you're gonna die. and push back on that? Because it is not so complicated. We know it that is, it's not complicated. No, you can do this. And look, I would love everybody to have the money to go see a lawyer, yeah. an estate planning attorney, to do this. But in fact, there is very good will software out there. So if you have been thinking that the things standing between you and a will, as well as these other documents, which, by the way, are not so complicated either medical directives, that's just naming somebody right. to take care of your health care, make your decisions if you're unable to make them yourself. A living will, it's do you want life support? That is all it is. But- and I would just like to reframe this and ask you a question because we're reporting a story at Hermione. on the most romantic gestures, the most romantic financial gestures that you can do for your family or for your partner,
2: I think teeing up the idea of a state plan belongs on that list. Yeah, because it's really security, right? It's really saying, I can take care of you. Something horrible has happened. This person you love has died, but there's not a second tragedy of, oh, my God. We don't know where any of the documents are or, oh, my God, we actually don't have any financial wherewithal to put these kids through college or, okay, which sibling is going to watch your kids? What are you actually thinking about? Do you want life support taken off of this person you love? I think that part is emotionally difficult.
1: Uh, I would I would agree with that. So. You know, I think it depends on your particular situation. For some people, you know, the simple will, the simple estate plan is absolutely doable, right? You kind of tick different items off your list. Everybody's situation is different. So if you're if you're dealing with multiple marriages, if you're dealing with aging family members, if you're dealing with kids, if you're dealing with any number of other items that make that particular estate planning process a little bit more complicated, your situation is going to be different. It really is going to depend on what's in front of you, what you're trying to accomplish. The idea is, is that you just start and talk with somebody. You start to have those conversations to figure out what your particular situation is. We see a lot of great stuff with clients. People get to retire. People talk to be about the birth of their first kid or their first grandkid. A lot of that also comes with tragedy, right? The person calling... My husband died unexpectedly this afternoon. Everything is kind of in disarray. What do we talk about? The woman whose husband retired, was retired for a month, had a massive coronary, died. They didn't even have a chance to deal with his 401k rollover yet. So you're stepping people through all of these conversations after the fact of the actual event, right? So when I talk with clients, I tell them, you got to have the conversations with your family now. Have the conversations, have the arguments, knock it out, get mad at each other, walk away, don't talk to each other for three days, but then come back and know that you can still have that conversation. One client joked and said, "Yeah, we invited the kids over, cooked them you know a nice fillet dinner, everything <laughs> and you know at the end, um you know Chris said, "All right, you guys ready to talk and they didn't they had no clue, but he said, "We're going to talk about this because it's important to talk about right now." because you have to have time to digest the information, ask the questions, answer the questions, and then actually put this into the estate plan. So if you have nothing in place, that's the thing that's daunting. I think people blame it on I don't understand law. I don't <laughs> understand a power of attorney. I don't understand a living will. They just know that A they have to confront their mortality and B they got to talk with family. About
2: and it. C, right? They have to say, well, Auntie Sue is not so great with money. Maybe we don't want to have her be the financial arm of this agreement. But, boy, the kids love her, and God forbid we die. We really think she'd have a great home for our kid. This is the sibling who'd be fantastic with finances and could help usher these kids through school, through college, through life. And you can divide and conquer like that. And you
0: can also, if you can't bring yourself to have these conversations, you can do the documents and not have the conversations, right and and I'm not saying that that is a good thing to do but it is an alternative and it's an alternative that's better than not doing it at all
1: and I would add one thing to that um, a lot of times you're uncomfortable having those conversations or thinking those things there was one meeting we had nine people in the room right we're bringing chairs in from everywhere but it was the first time that the parents felt comfortable actually having that conversation. So rely on your advisor. Rely on your planner to act as that go-between to have that conversation, put the plan in place, or at least start to have that conversation.
2: I think it brings a tremendous amount of relief. It's sort of like um, clearing out your email box or going through all your mail and being like, whew, I did it. Now we can move forward. And it's a good, you know, again, it's a good way to start a new year. So I would, I felt great after we did ours. We probably need updating. What do you think? Every couple of years you need to revisit it?
1: I say every three to five years. Um, You can look at it all the time, but there's usually not a lot of stuff changing. You go longer than five years. We had that problem. So if everybody goes down in the plane, there were organizations that we wanted to receive the money. I looked at it, our own plan, a little bit longer than I realized, and I realized that there's a couple of places that I don't want to get one cent of my money anymore. So, you know, five years or so, it's a good kind of line in the sand, and then that's when you kind of pull back from there.
2: I need to update my my <laughs> estate plan, just listening to all of your advice, Andy. Thank you so much for that. You're it's, welcome. It's been a few years. i got to get that going on. That is our show, Everyday Wealth. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a question on a topic you'd like us to address on the show or just a question, just be sure to come visit us at everydaywealth.com. Submit your question.
0: If you missed last week's show, the podcast is available there, too. I want to just say a big thank you to Andy Smith for coming on in to join us today. Thanks, Andy. And many of the topics that we discussed today, especially when we were talking about not outliving your money, they can have additional implications for women because we tend to live longer than men. So be sure to check out hermoney.com if you're looking for additional information specifically for women. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Soledad. Thank you, Andy.